Bickley and Murata talk Suns Nuggets now. Uh, we got to go step by step, process this tonight, and look at the film, uh, come back in tomorrow with the players, and uh, our guys have. This group has been here already, so we understand what it takes to emotionally settle down, understand it's a big game coming up, but our guys have played in a number of big games. Yeah, we got to be better. We got to be better. Uh, they made a little bit of everything tonight. So go back, look at the film, get ready for game two. Monty Williams. Chris Paul following game one on Saturday night, a game uh, won by the Denver Nuggets, 125-107. They draw first blood in this Western Conference semifinal. Uh, and uh, Monty Williams talking about preparing for game two. And Chris Paul, a short soundbite there, but kind of summing up, I think, a lot of people on the Suns' side, how they felt after that game. They made everything tonight. The Nuggets only shot 47.5%. 43% from three-point range. They did make 16 threes. Yeah. But it just seemed like every time they needed a shot, they got one. It was it was yeah. the, the timing of the answers from the Nuggets that kind of led you to that feeling like, wow, they're shooting the lights out. And a couple of their players did. I mean, Jamal Murray and, and Aaron Gordon were just ridiculous on Saturday. Yeah, and again, it, it's the, the math equation for the Phoenix Suns being a mid-range, the mid-range mafia, if you will, the, the game one was sort of a worst-case scenario in terms of what it looked looks like when the other team is is draining and on fire from three point territory where the Suns don't really have that in their bag if you will and, you know at, at, at halftime the, the Nuggets had a 17 point lead we all watched the game we all know that at halftime of game one the Nuggets had 15 more field goal attempts 12 more three point attempts and 12 more rebounds they also had 12 offensive rebounds at halftime and at one point in time the Suns had four three point attempts they were on the verge of setting the record for the lowest half performance of three-point shot attempts uh, of, a, of an NBA team this season. They ended up throwing up a three late in the in the second quarter to tie it, but that right there, those numbers speak to the math conundrum that the Suns face when the when the opposition is making three-point shots, when the Suns are not defending the perimeter um, with, with any kind of force at all, and when they're not making threes on the other end. And I was thinking about this, you know, back in the day, one of the hallmarks of the Steve Nash, seven seconds or less Phoenix Suns were, if that team ever got down, they could come back in a heartbeat and often did because they had three-point shooters all over the floor. The Suns get in a big deficit against a good team. The, the comeback, it, it feels oh. like a slog at times, doesn't you're, it? You're so right. Uh, and that's one of the reasons, and we brought it up earlier in the show, the last 27 minutes of that game, the Nuggets were up by double digits at least because the Suns couldn't chip into that lead because of the three-point shooting. And this is a roster construction thing as much as everything else. When you've got Kevin Durant and you've got Devin Booker, who are so adept at the mid-range, and, 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 and they're great three-point shooters as well, they they rely on that mid-range so much. Devin Booker taking one three-pointer in a playoff game in 40 minutes of action is not a, a recipe for success, no. in my no. opinion. No, you're but absolutely right. Where the roster construction, in my opinion, bit comes in is that right now the Suns have a lack out and leave Durant and Booker out of it. They've got a lack of confident open shooters right now. Chris Paul has at times been that guy. At times he passes up shots. Mm-hmm. Josh Akogi passes up shots when he gets them because he struggled shooting it. Torrey Craig passes up shots. 
Landry Shamit plays with almost zero offensive confidence right now. Damian Lee, same thing. So when the ball does not stick, which was a problem on Saturday, and that ball finds an open shooter, you know, everybody is schooled in the NBA now. If you have an open three, take the open three. And the Suns still struggle with that because they let yeah, their confidence or lack thereof get into it. The funny thing is, the two guys who do not pass up open shots, Terrence Ross and TJ Warren, are just not playing at all. Like, yeah. those are the two guys that do, to a fault sometimes, have confidence to always take that shot. Yeah, and I think Terrence Ross is much more of a three-point shooter than TJ Warren happens to be. And, and that was that's one of the adjustments I wonder if Monty is going to to explore. I I do know that there is a there's a flip side to that that you you don't want a guy shooting you out of the game. But but on some level, what Vinny said is so so accurate that in today's NBA you cannot pass open threes. You need to take them and you need to make a good percentage of it. One of the things that alarms Suns fans is the Suns shot fifty one point two percent from the field in game one. Yes, they and they outshot, got blown out of the gym. They outshot the Nuggets at one point. They were shooting over sixty percent from the floor and were down double digits, and you're like, oh man, this is a recipe for disaster. Uh, I don't want to rip on the bench too much, and I know some of it was in garbage time. The Suns made seven three-pointers in a playoff game in 2023. Five of them were by the bench. They only got two three-pointers made out of their starters. Kevin Durant made one, and Chris Paul made one. And Kevin Durant talked about it yesterday. This is something that popped up in the first series at times, but generating more three-pointers. Yeah, I mean, it looked like we had a lot of opportunities that we could have capitalized on. Um, And you always see that. No matter if you win or lose games, you always going to see that. And you just got to do a better job of finding those options and playing out of that. I I felt like, like I said, we shot the ball pretty well yesterday, but uh, we definitely can't generate more threes. I think we got some guys open at the three-point line, but we're not going to force any of that either. We're going to try to play the game, but defensively and rebounding basketball uh, is something that gives you a, a, you know, a lot of freedom on offensive end to do what you need to do and figure it out on the offensive side. So we just got to be better in that area. Yeah, so I, again, the, the list of things to improve upon was was very long for the Suns. If they improve on, improve on a few of those things, they're going to increase their chances. But to me, that just looked like a team that wasn't, wasn't quite ready for what was in front of them. Yeah. Uh, whether and and there was a couple of times too, and you know you you look at it from you know just a, a viewer standpoint. Maybe you notice this in the arena too, but there was a couple of dead ball situations in the second half where the Suns looked absolutely gassed. They're all bent over, they're grabbing their shorts, mm-hmm. which is usually the telltale sign yep. in a basketball game at how winded you are. Um, you know, I know they went to Denver early, and, and and you know how acclimated can you get with an extra twenty four hours? We said last week. It wouldn't hurt, but they they look like they were just I don't know unaware of, of what was ahead. No, you, I, I I definitely agree with you. The DeAndre Ayton um, dilemma and the play that went viral is something that has obviously lodged itself in the in the in the craw of the fan base. And, and I think that uh, the the whole altitude thing. I, I, we want I want to get back into this because I do think that if the Suns were going to feel the effects of it, it it would have happened in Game One and it probably did. If the people who study altitude will tell you that the thing that you don't 
don't do is exactly what the Suns did. You don't go into high altitude a couple of days in advance and, and then expect to get acclimated right away. And in fact, if you get there from from hours twenty four through seventy two, you're like in an and I don't know this. I've just read this. You're in an oxygen deficit situation. So the smart thing, and I've talked about this in context of football games at altitude, is to go in the day of game. You can't do that in the NBA. The league requires you to be there um, for media purposes um, beforehand. So the Suns had to deal with what they dealt with. They got in early, I think, probably because the team wanted to, to emphasize, let's get together, let's fraternize, let's let's build camaraderie. I think the effects of it, I think they'll be much better tonight. If, if I've read properly about the effects of altitude, they were most susceptible Saturday night. They should be a lot more acclimated tonight, if that makes any sense. Yeah, the altitude may have been a problem in Game 1, and that begins with the letter A, but they certainly had a another Game 1 problem that began with the letter A. We'll get into that, too. <laughs> DeAndre Ayton. My man Bick didn't hold back on DA. We'll get into it next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the home of Phoenix Suns basketball. Suns playoff coverage presented by Michelob Ultra. Bickley and Murata talk Suns Nuggets now. Rebound. Rebound and then... Just talking on the defensive end for real. It's the first game of the series. Can't really be overwhelmed on this first game, to be honest. Um, We've been here before. Um, Yeah, that's it. It's a fun game, man. It's playoffs. That's what competing is about. Fortunately, they were the best team today. Get back in the lab, see where our mistakes is, and that's it. DeAndre Ayton following a game one loss by the Phoenix Suns on Saturday night. Give, him, the give it to him. He has a lot of fun in these games. Always, <laughs> always fun. Thank goodness. Taking the gold gold Smithian route. Oh yeah, yeah, that did, that did sound very Paul Goldsmith like. <laughs> Paul Goldsmith, uh, DeAndre Ayton, thirty minutes, twenty one seconds of playing time. 7 of 11 from the floor, 14 points, 7 rebounds. Bick has uh, referenced the clip that went viral about uh, DeAndre Ayton basically spectating on a play where Nikola Jokic was underneath, um, really just padding his offensive rebounding numbers on that possession. Mm-hmm. He had about four of them in, in one fell swoop, but Ayton didn't really get involved in that play after the initial action. And people will focus on that with DeAndre Ayton because this stuff pops up. Um, he's got to be better. I, and that, if you just focus on that clip, I understand your frustration because it's not an isolated thing with DeAndre Ayton. Um, getting that motor to get flipped on, that, that Tesla battery back. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it's a challenge. And, yeah. and, and he's got to be a ton better, but he's not the only one. No, and, I, and I know uh, you, you focused on it, and I, I have no issue with you focusing on it with, with what you wrote on ArizonaSports.com because you know the challenge is immense when you're going up against Nikola Jokic, and, and Jokic was not at his most dominant self. I mean, nine of tw- you're going to tell me Jokic shoots nine of twenty-one, and you're going to get blown out. You would pray for a nine for twenty-one game for no Jokic, about it. but and the Suns just failed to take advantage of that. And DeAndre okay. Ayton is at the heart of it. Now, I I hear what you're saying, and and I I know I know I think I know what you're thinking here that 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 people go um, overboard with their criticism of DeAndre Ayton based on moments because in whole he wasn't terrible 
but the moments like that, moments like that to me, they do raise my blood pressure. And, oh, absolutely. And I'm not alone. And I'm no. clearly not alone. And in fact, at practice yesterday, Monty Williams said something that blew my mind. He, Monty Williams said that that he thought DeAndre Ayton's level could have gone up three or four. It was three or four notches below what it should have been. Now think about that. Three or four notches below what it should have been in terms of force and effort intensity against the number one seed in the first game of a playoff series. I just can't reconcile that. And and I just uh, and I'm tired of it. And I know a lot of people are tired of it because DA is capable of so much more. And and I and I get I get there's going to be drift. I understand that. I, I'm done trying and wishing that this guy is going to find the magic uh ferocity button in, in his brain and flip it on and then suddenly be a monster. But if Kavon Looney is is it, it can get twenty plus rebounds three times in a series. What is holding Da back? Yeah, and, uh, I, I, we can get into that. Uh, and you said before, hey, you think you know what I'm thinking, and I'll explain what I'm thinking. My frustration with it, on the whole, yes, it was a frustrating performance and a long line of frustrating performances by DeAndre Ayton. Where I get frustrated, and this is my fault for being, you know, waiting in the in the cesspool that is social media during and after basketball games, is the faction of Suns fans that pin everything on DeAndre Ayton. Oh, okay. It's his fault that they lost. He didn't play well. He didn't play with force. I get it, but. They got blown the hell out. And oh, the yeah, point it wasn't on, just him. The no, point of, on Kevon Looney, when, when you look at, and we talk about this a lot with DeAndre Ayton, when you look at the raw numbers and you see seven rebounds, DeAndre Ayton will have those games with big rebounding numbers, but what people tend to forget, too, is that he's not a Nikola Jokic. Jokic is never on the perimeter defensively, ever, because he would be exploited. DeAndre Ayton is a good perimeter defender. So you can have him at, at the front of your defense challenging the ball. Well, you know, if you're challenging a jump shooter after, you know, after a ball screen, you're not in position to rebound. There's that. Kevon Looney's role with the Golden State Warriors is very clearly defined. And it is, we don't need anything from you offensively, Kevon. But he is fantastic at it, and he's undersized. So, I, I, I mean, yes, Ayton can be better, but... There's a lot of different factors that go into when you look at the numbers. Now, the force, I can't, I can't defend it. The lack of force, I can't defend it. That was, that was frustrating. Yeah, okay, and I think I think you put that out there very, very well. Yes, I, I do agree that that, and I don't spend a lot of time on social media, particularly in games. I think it's very futile, and and it, you, it's, you're smart. Yeah, it's 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 brutal. So yeah, I, yeah. So I I think that in the case of Da, if he could just if they could narrow his role, then if and you're right about Kevon Looney, he's being asked to do one thing, and he's doing it very, very well. That is what I think DeAndre Ayton has to do. He's got to lock in on a couple of things and do it very, very well. He, it, it, getting beat down the court by Nikola Jokic, yeah. which happened a few times in Game One, that to me cannot happen. It, it just it, DeAndre Ayton is he's capable of much more. And, and Monty Williams elaborated on this. He, he said it's not just rebounding; it's the way that he gets out and runs the floor. He said the force that Da when he's right, the the force that he can provide the basketball team, it's all over the court. It isn't just around the rim. If he gets out and sprints instead of jogs, that is applying force to the basketball game. Um, you know, using his wingspan to 
to to contest rebounds and, uh-huh. and to get in the fray. That's using your force, and and this is what he's got to provide his basketball team. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you that this was not a scapegoat game. Everybody outside of Kevin Durant was really not good, and Kevin Durant, uh, to his credit, took took accountability for his seven turnovers. Yeah. Um, so uh, yes, this is a team wide thing, but but I think that it, it's it, when I talk about football teams and soft players and how they bring down a program, you, you can't have a guy playing like that in the playoffs because it, not only not only does it lessen your team, but it, it emboldens the other team. And the fact that they were throwing guards on DeAndre Ayton in the post in game one, that should that should tick him off to no end. I agree with you, and there was a couple of possessions, and, and Bruce Brown is, is, is a competitor. He's a fiery competitor. He's, he's got a lot of dog in him, but just the, the, the science of it tells you that that should be that that should be feasting time for DeAndre. Exactly, exactly. Especially the, when a double team doesn't come. Right, and so I I do believe that there are elements of of the game that we saw in Game One that the Suns can correct. I mean, the fact that the Denver Nuggets posted fourteen steals in that game was I mean, when do you ever see that? Well, I mean, seven turnovers from Kevin Durant. Well, a lot of those were live, yeah, 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 live yeah. ball things. So yeah, they were live ball. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I, 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 you know, there's no doubt about it. Monty talked about it yesterday, being more aggressive. The players need to. Uh, they talked about it as well. Uh, I'm very curious to see how they respond to what was a disappointing game one tonight. We'll have a lot more on that game uh, tonight. We'll also be joined by Kellen Olson in the 9 o'clock hour. He's also in Denver covering this series. We'll uh, get the Denver perspective from our buddy Mark Schlereth from 104.3 The Fan in Denver also. So we got a lot of Suns Nuggets coverage. And also... The big stories of the day in the Rush Hour reboot with Sarah Cazell next. Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata mornings. Rush Hour reboot. Rush Hour reboot. Setting you up to speed on everything happening in sports this morning. Brought to you by Brooklyn Betting. Arizona built for America's dreams. Good morning, everyone. Welcome into the Rush Hour Reboot here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy Monday. Great to have you all with us. Uh, could be a happier Monday if maybe the Suns had taken game one on Saturday. We'll get into that in just a second. I'm Sarah Cazell, taking, taking you through the top stories of the day with Dan Bickley in Denver. Hey. Hey. Still sounds the same. Sounding great. Vince Murata. Oh, the sunshine state on Denver. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. <laughs> Sam's the night. It's way off. Jared Carlin's here. Jared Carlin, chronic masticator. <laughs> <laughs> he does chew a lot. He does. Oh, that's what that means. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. <laughs> how's the how's the vibe in Denver, Bick? I know you're at the our sister station there. Yeah. Are you getting mean mugged today? Well, no, no. It, it's it's ironic to me because I have found out from talking to a lot of Denver natives that that the Nuggets are either the third or fourth favorite t- team in this town. So I mean, I was yeah. not behind yeah. the Broncos and the Avs. The Broncos are a mile ahead of everyone. The Avs are second, and and uh, there's a debate on whether the Rockies or the Nuggets are in third. What? So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So <laughs> there's probably more sadness in Denver than happiness because the Avs lost yesterday. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, because they don't That's get to defend point. their their championship. Wow. 
Yeah, I mean, we're an NBA town, so it's hard yeah, for me to imagine having an NBA. Different. There were 19,000 people in that arena Saturday night, and it, it it felt like, it just felt like a very soft, benign crowd. Wow. It's a big arena, and it, it's, it, the, the arena is too spacious to, to really kind of create a great vibe. But yeah, I, I okay. just, it's not the hardest place to play. When you think, I mean, the Nuggets have never made an NBA Finals, let never. alone won a championship. Yes. So, I mean, they've yeah, had other true. teams that have won championships and made, yep. you know, champions. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even the Rockies made the right. World Series. Even the Rockies made the World Series, so, yeah. you know. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. All right, tough start for the Suns, uh, as we were just discussing. Game one loss to the Nuggets in Denver on Saturday, 125-107. The Suns struggled, uh, particularly with rebounding and turnovers, allowing the Nuggets to pull ahead in the second quarter and stay ahead. Uh, great shooting nights from Jamal Murray and Aaron Gordon. Here is Monty Williams, the Suns head coach. He was asked if DeAndre Ayton is disappointed in his effort. I know you all saw the viral clip if you didn't actually see it in the game. Um, and Monty said they're all disappointed in their efforts. We all have a, a bit of personal disappointment. Because when you play against the best team in the West, why would you not bring them? You know? So that, that's probably the disappointment we all feel. All right, Kevin Durant also mentioned effort as a sticking point, like Monty Williams just did. But he said everything that they lacked in game one is fixable. Well, just playing harder, just playing more disciplined um, on both ends of the floor. I think around this time, the fundamentals are the most important part of the team and as an individual player. So if you can uh, play to your fundamentals as much as possible, you give yourself a good chance to win. So I know that sounds simple and basic, but that's really what basketball is. So you got you to stick to that. Okay, what was the biggest issue that you guys saw on Saturday, Dan and Vince, be it one person's performance or a larger theme across the team in game one? Yeah, I think it, I think it really was just the, the, the energy exuded by both teams. There was a stark contrast to me in, in the speed in which both teams played and, and the belief the Nuggets gained while the belief that the Suns lost from the second period on was uh, rather concerning. But I do, I do think that most of these issues are correctable. I agree with that. I, I and I fully expect the Suns to play better tonight. Mm-hmm. But it's a pretty low bar to to improve. <laughs> uh, the problem is, is can they get the Nuggets to not play so good? I mean, right. they, the Nuggets played a great basketball game. I don't think there's many teams on the planet that they wouldn't have ripped apart on Saturday night with the way that they played. Again, every game is different. Um, you know, the Suns got their taste; they got their feet wet now. Uh, but you know, if you going back to the original question, just that second quarter, that lack of focus in, in the second quarter again, and the Suns have had those quarters throughout the playoffs where they don't click in, in any single way. That's where they lost the game. Um, you know, you're minus 18 in the second quarter. You can't have those types of, of, of quarters in a playoff game, yeah. especially on the road. Sure. Now, I, I just want to understand how you can be a playoff team and suffer from a lack of focus from time. I mean, I know it happens it's, for every team out yeah, there, but how do, you, how do you describe that? How do you explain you that? Don't, other than just to say, Sports are still an endeavor that is performed by human beings. Yes. I mean, we we just went through a a total lack of focus last year in a game seven. And then people will say, well, how do you not show up for game one? It happens. It's hard to it's hard to describe and it's hard to understand. Mm -hmm. But that's that's the only thing I got. Yeah. 
Yeah, well said. Well, game two starts uh, at seven o'clock tonight. Of course, we've got it on our air, on the app, and on 98.7. Let's talk about rotations and playing time uh, from game one and, and maybe making some tweaks moving forward. Devin Booker played the most minutes for the Suns with 40. And then Landry Shamit played 14 minutes. He had three whole points during that span. <laughs> Six minutes for Bismarck Biombo. Campaign only logged five minutes. Um, and of course, not until the game was well over. And then five minutes for Terrence Ross as well. Uh, what do you guys think about those kinds of decisions? I know Landry Shamit playing time has been a topic of conversation the last week or so. How would you change up what you're seeing when it comes to those kinds of decisions and how minutes are allotted? Hey, Landry oh, Shamit hit 100% of his shots. He did. He made one of one. <laughs> and listen, and I was watching Landry Shamit work out before game one, and he was and he was exclusively shooting catch-and-shoot three-pointers, and he made about 15 in a row. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah. the talent is there, but Vinny's yeah. right. It's the confidence that, that when he gets into live game actions, it, it just isn't where it should be. Um, I, I don't... I, I've got mixed feelings about this. I, I don't know if you go major rotation alterations after one game that shows a lot of lack of trust in, in what you brought into game one. And so I, I'm not sure there's going to be massive adjustments. Uh, you might want to consider uh, Tory Craig back in the starting lineup. I don't know. But again, I, I, I think it, it's a little premature to do anything major because that would be, in my opinion, a, a sign of weakness. Yeah, I, 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 I'm curious to see what's next for for campaign. He got 509 of garbage time minutes, but he got his feet wet a little bit. He got to do some campaign things, and I wonder if that's a sign that maybe he can change the energy a little bit. I was a little bit shocked to see Landry Shamit, the first guy off the bench again from the from the guard position, but I mean Monty Williams is trying. There's just there's just not much to draw from right now. And if I don't think this is a now issue. You might go back to the regular season um, to see you know, the lack of opportunity for those guys. We're seizing the opportunity for those guys at the end of the bench. And I know people are clamoring for, for T.J. Warren and Terrence Ross, but if they had grasped those opportunities a little bit better in the regular season, we wouldn't be having this discussion right now. So Monty's going to go with the guys that he's trusted for the longer amount of time, and Landry Shamit is that guy right now. Yeah, But I, I, I think we'll see more from Cameron Payne tonight. And I've okay. been saying that for two straight games. But. <laughs> but tonight, tonight is the night. Tonight is the night. There we go. Uh, let's look at the Cardinals now. A couple days removed from the draft. Uh, pretty positive reviews generally from the national NFL voices for that nine-person draft class. Mel Kuyper Jr. gave Monty Austin Fort an A-minus grade on the class. He says the Cardinals might be rough this season, but there is hope next year and beyond. And really hope, I think, is all Cardinals fans are asking for right now. Chad Reuter of NFL.com gave the Cardinals an A. He said getting Keytrell Clark as a slot corner and Owen Popo at linebacker were absolute steals. Uh, Vinny Iyer is not super feeling it, though. Of Sporting News, he gave the Cardinals a D. He said this is a very underwhelming class outside of B.J. Ojolari and Garrett Williams, including a forced luxury pick in Paris Johnson Jr., prompted by Kyler Murray. I know you guys don't vibe with handing out draft class grades, especially two days after the draft ended, but where is your confidence in Monty Austin Fort as the Cardinals GM after his first draft? Started out a little shaky with the whole tampering thing. Do you feel like he maybe bounced back? How do you feel about that? 
Yeah, no, listen, I, I, I think that it, from my vantage point, what Monty Austin Ford did was in store or restore a lot of hope that maybe the organization is on a better path. It, it is asinine. We don't know how any of these players are nope. going to turn out, so you can't look at that. But but the fact that he was able to to bring in some serious assets for next year's draft, of a, a first-round pick and two third-round picks, that that's serious capital. That's a really, really good thing, and the fact that he targeted premium positions with the draft picks instills hope in, in, in me. So I, yeah, I, while the other, I'll let others do the grading. To me, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm inspired and hopeful that the Cardinals now have a, a much better coherent plan yeah. in place. Reassured in the direction is how I feel. Going back to what you mentioned on, on Vinny Iyer from Sporting News and calling Paris Johnson a luxury item for a team that has struggled to put together an offensive line, I think, is yeah. is one of the dumbest takes I've, I've read. Now, again, he might be right when it's all said and done, but the, a luxury item is, is ridiculous. Um, he was arguably the best offensive lineman in the draft. Yes. He should be a day one starter. I, I don't call that a luxury item. Fair enough. Yeah. We've got more grades for the Arizona Cardinals draft class on ArizonaSports.com, so if you want to read Beautiful. more nice things with a couple salty things sprinkled throughout, sure. that's on our website. Sure. Thank you, Sarah. Thank We're you. all rebooted. Rush Hour Reboot every morning at uh, 7.30. Coming up next, newsflash. The Golden State Warriors are hard to kill. Coming <laughs> soon to a theater near you. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Skip it off the curve. It's a go away. Let's step through his thing. Curry waiting. Shot clock down to 10. Curry drives. Goes up over Lyles. Up and in with a right hand. Curry's got 30 in the game. And Curry will bring it up. Curry drives. Scores. He's got 50. A 50-point playoff game for Stephen Curry in a game seven. That was a call on 95-7 the game. Uh, Steph Curry going off for a new NBA Game 7 record for any round of the playoffs. 50 points as uh, Golden State beats Sacramento 120-100. to They move on. Uh, credit to Golden State, as, as you mentioned earlier in the show, Bick, and people have been harping on this. One of the worst road teams in basketball during the regular season, but found a way to win the last two in Sacramento after a really strange Game 6 performance uh, from Golden State, but they they won it on the road, and it's just another reminder, A, to me, like, don't put any stock into the regular season at all. Mm -hmm. Once the playoffs hit, uh, there's several articles all over the internet today, it's like, does the NBA season, regular season matter at all? And Steph Curry was was phenomenal, Uh, um, and, you know, I think he gets glazed over in the talk of the greatest players of all time. But I, I want to give credit elsewhere because that game turned around in the third quarter. And it was Kevon Looney who turned the game around. The Warriors in that game outscored Sacramento by 12 points, 35-23. And it was a strange quarter of basketball because the, the Warriors shot 40% from the floor. 
and they missed nine free throws in a single quarter. Yet they were able to pull away because Kevon Looney had seven of their 13 offensive rebounds in one quarter. Their second chance points absolutely demoralized Sacramento. And they played like a team that was beaten for for much of the the, the rest of the game, especially the fourth quarter. Yeah, that that's that second half and and the the game in its entirety. Uh, I know a lot of people focus on Steph and and nobody has ever scored fifty points in a game seven nope. before and 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 we all know how important game sevens are in the pantheon and and of the NBA and when you start talking about legacies and greatness and it's something the Suns have to overcome and and kind of rise up and meet that moment as well. Just the resilience that this basketball team showed the 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 level of of care caring about winning and caring about not losing a playoff series with their big three intact. I found that to be almost breathtaking, Vinny, to be honest with you. Uh, they played a, an incredibly strange game six, and then you read about what happened in the aftermath of game six and how how the leadership trio of Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Clay Thompson kind of just sat together for hours after the game and just kind of got their heads right and put out a mission and and that team just they just wouldn't were not going to be denied and I I think the Suns can take a lot of lessons from that that's exactly the kind of mindset this is not a game seven tonight in Denver but that's exactly the kind of mindset and temperament temperament you need to bring to these big moments and they did and it was it was something to see man I you know I'm I'm there was a time when I when I really liked what the Nuggets did for the NBA. I'm I'm not a nug. I, I'm sorry. Th- what the Warriors brought to the NBA. I'm not a, a Warriors fan per se. Um, I, I know this Warriors Lakers series is going to feel like Armageddon to a lot of people, particularly the people at ESPN, and that's fine. But but I think what you can take away from this, if you're the Phoenix Suns, is just what you can do if you bond together and and show that kind of resilience. It was you know. Uh, Props to them for doing what they did. Uh, absolutely, and, and and now focusing on that series because the Lakers polished off uh, Memphis on polished Friday. Off. They <laughs> beat my forty. They polished them off. Yeah. Um, and you know, Sarah brought up that question too in, in the Rush Hour reboot. How do you explain those situations? Like you know, a, a, you know, big game for Memphis in that series. How do you show up and lay an egg like that? Uh-huh. If there was ever a team where that was predictable, it was the Memphis, the 2023 Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, and, yeah and for the right. fact that earlier in the series, Dylan Brooks comes out and oh. calls LeBron James old and says, "I don't respect a player until he puts forty on me," and then they lose their their elimination <laughs> game by forty points. I mean, the There's basketball the, the basketball gods have a sick sense of humor sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> isn't it also amazing how pretty much all season long we were saying, you know, the, the bottom of the West is really stronger than the top. You know, we don't trust Sacramento, we don't trust Memphis, and no. then it actually played out that. Absolutely, absolutely, and and weird to see, you know, pedigreed teams. Well, more so the Warriors than, than this version of the Lakers. But, but teams with that much star power at the bottom of the bracket, and now you got a six-seven matchup between the Warriors and Lakers. And I'll just throw this out there, Beck. If you're going to watch that series, I say watch quickly. I think the Warriors are going to 
absolutely Ooh. annihilate the Lakers wow. in this series. Wow. Well, I, I saw this. I saw this out on social media over the weekend. I thought this was very, very, very interesting. Just by the fact that Sacramento forced a Game Seven in that Golden State series means the schedule for the Warriors Lakers series is going to be every other day from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Suns Nuggets, there's pockets in space. We know there's three days between Game Two and Game Three. Yeah. So, so if the Warriors don't make quick work of them, um, that might be a break for the Suns if they can emerge past Denver. That's a, a story for another day. But, but I think you're absolutely right about that. I, I think, I think what the Warriors showed against the Kings, I, I don't think that this is going to be as. Um, it, great of a series as other people think. I, 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 I don't buy that. I, well, I think you're right. I think the Warriors are going to win this thing in five. Another break for the Suns, though, is if they advance past Denver, the Suns will have home court in the Western Conference Finals as now. a four seed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It, it's a weird year. Um, going back to your point, too, Bick, about how the Warriors handled things after Game 6 and their leadership trio coming together. I think you're right. Look, the Suns can look at that after a disappointing game one and say, hey, we got our, we need to get our veterans together and set the example. But this is still so much an on-the-fly exercise for the Suns. The amount of, of common playoff experience between those three players for Golden State is invaluable. And, and you, can't, you can't replicate those experiences that they've had. So I think you can pick and choose what you want to from that experience if you're the Suns. But, I mean, Golden State is just uniquely structured to, to overcome a situation like that. I, I, I thought going into Game 7, I thought that the Warriors were going to pay handsomely for, for not for not closing out that series in six and for them to find that level of mental tenacity. It's a little frightening, to be honest with you. And it's, it's, I've said this for two years now. The, the Suns Warriors is the series I desperately want to see. Um, I, I, I'm sure you feel the same yes. way. I think that would be that would be you talk about a galvanizing series that would capture the imaginations of everybody. That would be it. So uh, I I hope that manifests itself. Yeah, but the, the Suns have got to play a lot better oh, to, yeah. to help that uh, be manifested. No doubt about it. Uh, and here's the other thing too. Um, when I, when I look at it, as it applies to this current series here, going into Game One, I, I found it to be fascinating listening to the pregame interviews, particularly from Nuggets head coach Mike Malone, because. Everybody in Denver, you can tell they're vibing on this idea that the Suns are favored to win this series. It came out of Mike Malone's mouth. He said it in a very deadpan way. But you can tell that they're really vibing on this. Now, if you're the Nuggets and you've gone through a couple of really bad playoffs in the the past two years, it's part of the reason why I was very comfortable picking the Suns to win this series. I don't trust the Nuggets' pedigree. Um, If the Nuggets, after Game 1, fool themselves into thinking, see, we're ready for this, which is what Jamal Murray was screaming on the court after his 6-3 pointer in game one. Mm-hmm. If they really believe, hey, we got this, see, we're ready for this now that we've got a healthy Jamal Murray and we've got a, a, a healthy team, we're, they may have already lost their edge, Vinny. It's now. I'm not saying that they wow. have or that they will. I'm saying it's possible. I've seen this before. Sometimes when you get a team that dominates a game one victory the way the Nuggets did, you get lulled into a false sense of security. And the Suns better better seize that element yes. of this game, in my opinion. I think there's another fascinating aspect to that uh, that you bring up, and we'll we'll circle back around to it because, right. like, you know, there's so much psychology in these playoff series oh, yeah. too. And there was one item from game one that I want to bring up on that psychological. Uh, factor too, but uh, we got business to attend to first. 
The Bickley Blast to kick off the second Fire. half of the show from the Mile High City. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.